everybody, it's Gene Marks, and thanks again for joining me for another episode of Biz Books, where I speak to smart and awesome business book writers about the books that they wrote so that we can all learn a little bit something from them. I am speaking today to Lindsay Pollack. Lindsay is the author of Recalculating, Navigating Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. First of all, Lindsay, uh, thanks so much for joining me. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this conversation. Um, so first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you came to write Recalculating. You've got a few other books as well, but um, give us a little bit of a background of yourself. I do. I started my career about 20 years ago at a magazine called Working Woman. May she rest in peace and didn't intend to start a business. Uh, like many people, uh, Working Woman went out of business and I started freelancing and I was early in my career and wrote my first book in 2007 called Getting From College to Career. And I really, like many authors, wanted to write the book I couldn't find for myself about how to figure out your career when you're just starting out. And that launched a speaking business as a college campus speaker and a LinkedIn trainer for young people. Flash forward like 10 years and companies started to call and say, hey, we hear you understand young people. Can you help us attract and retain them? <laughs> and so I've kind of carved out this niche of both helping people of all ages and generations to figure out how to navigate this constantly changing world of work and then helping employers like small business owners to large corporations figure out how to employ and retain talent and then Everything came to a screeching halt in 2020, like it did for most speakers. And again, I wanted to write the book that I wish I had, which was how do you navigate in times of incredible, shocking change? And that was how Recalculating was born. Got it. That's great. So this book is really kind of targeted at, um, at, at people searching for, you know, for jobs. I mean, this is for employees primarily. Uh, but I think as you and I were talking even before, you know, I started recording this, um, you know, I think you've got some insights for some small business owners here as well, correct? Yeah, I'm a small business owner myself. And it was interesting. I also saw this as a book for job seekers or anybody looking for, for work or to build their career. And because of the interviews I did, I ended up adding a chapter, how to recalculate uh, even wherever you are, staying at the same company, being an employer, whatever position you're in, recalculating is sort of something we all have to do these days, whether we're looking for a job or whether we own the company. Right. Yeah, it's an ever-changing world and we always have to be working on, well, you, you discussed this about your skill set and um, being, you know, being able to adapt to change. You said that you got, you know, one of the, the um, motivations for writing this book or sort of the ideas like you were uh, thinking about what happens when like a, a GPS device recalculates, right? When the pandemic hit, I live in New York City and I was looking out the window and I saw cars on the street. And, you know, I have to tell you, I've been universally terrible at naming books, naming speeches. I just don't have that gene. Right. But I thought, oh my gosh, recalculating. Like, <laughs> this is that feeling when you hit a wrong turn or you hit traffic and your GPS is like, you can't go that way anymore, but you got to get to where you want to go. And it just hit me and the metaphor worked, which is hilarious because I live in New York and don't drive. So I, people thought it was very funny that I picked a driving metaphor, but that it's is the actually metaphor. funny that you would actually pick that of any metaphor to use, but you know, it is so true. I mean, I, you, know, you, you think to yourself when you are driving in a GPS device, you, you make a turn that wasn't expecting and you see it spinning around and recalculating and adjusting to get you to your destination. And uh, anyway, it's a great analogy. It really is. So I, I, I give you, I give you a, a big thumbs up for choosing that as your basis for this. Now, you list out in this book, and by the way, um, don't worry, Lindsay, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, put you on the spot here. Um, I, I, when was this book published? How long ago? 
This book was published in 2021, March 2021. So it's like a couple of years ago. So I'm not expecting you to like be able to like remember things off the top of your head, but you do, you list out your five rules for recalculators. Um, one of them sort of caught my attention. You know, one of the rules was about asking for help. You saying that, you know, you're never alone in your calculation or in your journey. Can you expand on, on that and, and maybe any other of those five rules that you think are really important for people to know? Yeah, it's funny, a question I get asked a lot being in the career space, I'm sure you do too, is what's the best advice you ever got? And very, very, very early, I started my speaking career speaking to rotary clubs, like local rotary clubs. Yeah, me too. And I remember, yeah, a wonderful, wonderful Rotarian said to me, you are never gonna do anything in your career without other people. Your relationships are everything. And that's sort of the, the basis of a rotary club. And I thought about that a lot, that one of the things that COVID did was it, it tore us apart. A lot of people felt very lonely. And my instinct, which I think was one of the best things that I had learned over the years, even though I, you know, all my speaking gigs were canceled, was I started reaching out to people. And so I wanted to remind everybody that we tend to feel very lonely and alone when we're having career struggles and you don't have to be. There are a tremendous number of resources and people who can support you. Yeah, it, it, it's very, very true. And, and anything else that comes to mind about some of these five rules? Is there any of these five rules that you've mentioned before that um, you think are more important than others or, you know, that you want to emphasize? Yeah. Um, one of the rules that I struggle with myself is about knowing uh, what you can control and what you can't. <laughs> so one of the roles is to control what you can. And obviously we could not control COVID. You cannot control things like whether an employer is ageist, right? You can't control what the economy is doing. You can't control inflation, right? We've all been through all of these and to really, really, really focus on, well, there's nothing I can do about that, but I can control my habits. I can control my attitude. I can control my mindset. And that's something I still remind myself of. But you know, one example of that that was really powerful was I was interviewing two people back to back when I was writing Recalculating. And one person, um, they both had been unemployed for a while. And one person said, I've been unemployed. No one's going to want me. I'm never going to get a job. You need better to have a job when you need one. Right. And the other person said, I've been out of work for a while. Everyone's going to want to hire me. I am so energized. I'm raring to go. And it was the same situation, but a different mindset. And it was just such a stark example. You can choose your mindset and your attitude. You can't fix the fact that you're out of work, but you can choose your mindset. Yeah, you, you call it controlling your own mindset. I mean, you, you write about that specifically. And it is really, really, it's funny. It, it's not just when you're looking for work. You know, I mean, like, don't you find like, you know, it is just in life in general, you know, when things happen, it, the things that happen, happen. It's how you react to those things is what's important. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you know when people say like a bad thing happened, that's usually just because whatever happened, that was your reaction to that thing. Um, I think it's the same thing when you're, you know, in a career, when you're in a job, when you're looking for work as well, there, there are certain things that are just going to happen and going to be, and I guess it's just, it's up to you as well. How are you going to deal with, with those things? You can't change them. Is that, is that, is that what you mean by controlling your own mindset? Absolutely. And I have done this well in my career and I have done this poorly in my career and my life. And it always goes better <laughs> when I choose to have the positive mindset. And I see that with job seekers and business owners as well. Yeah, yeah, it makes it makes complete sense. All right. Some other things you brought up in the book, which I, I really enjoyed. You, you, you talk about um, trying to mute as much negativity out of your life as possible, you know, and, you know, I'm on Twitter all the time. And, you know, 
I'm sure you, when you go on social media, there's a lot of toxicity that's out there. And, um, you know, I find it, it, you know what amazes me? And sometimes I, I, uh, you, you see some celebrities, particularly like younger people that are celebrities and they get really upset by stuff that's on Twitter that's being said about them. And, and I always say to myself, maybe it's just a 58 year old guy talking, but it's like, just don't go on Twitter, you know, like stay away from it. You know, if it's, if it's a bad vibe for you, like, you know, if you don't go on it and you won't even know that it's out there and you won't even care. You know, isn't that important to do? Yeah, I think it's generational as well that to even know that you have a choice. And I'll tell you, during COVID, I got very down with the doom scrolling and the comparison. And I quit both Facebook and Instagram and I have never gone back. And people are sort of shocked by that. Oh my gosh, you have a personal brand, you write books. I'm all over LinkedIn. I, you know, I don't mind Twitter, but Facebook and Instagram were just not good for me and they were taking away. But I did, you know, for those who feel like I could never leave it, I have to be there. There's a difference between active social media use and passive social media use. And I think it's true with, with reading the news as well. Passive is what we tend to do, which is I'm just gonna scroll until I feel bad, or I'm gonna scroll until I find something until interesting. I feel bad. <laughs> right. Active is, you know what? I'm gonna follow all authors or all exercise gurus because I really wanna inspire myself and I'm gonna go look for examples of things that inspire me. Then you're going for a purpose and you stop when you find it. So if you feel like you absolutely have to be there, get rid of the noise, get rid of the people who make you feel bad and focus on the ones that make you feel good. Now that said, I'm not a fan of a total media blackout because I do think you need to be aware, have to follow the news of maybe organizations you wanna work for, people you wanna hire. But this idea that we all have to be there is just not true. And I'm actually seeing with Gen Z, those about 26 and younger, a little bit of a backlash against being on social media all the time. And I think it's really positive. You do have a choice. You know, I, um, so yeah, I'm active on Twitter and LinkedIn. I'm in agreement with you about like, it, Twitter can be toxic, but um, the community that I follow and whatever, it's, it's you know, I generally stay out of battles. So it's not so bad. LinkedIn is great, you know, and it's a great spot for job seekers and also just building a community as well. Um, it's very professional and it is very rare that people attack each other on LinkedIn because it's just, a much safer community to be in, a more professional community. And um, I would encourage you to go back to Instagram only because I'm on Instagram. I do not post anything to Instagram. I follow a bunch of highly inappropriate accounts on Instagram. <laughs> my kids have recommended to me over the years, you know? And I go on and I drive my wife nuts because I, I, I scroll through it and I laugh, you know, because there's some like really, People are really dopey and fun. That's an active use. You have yeah. chosen what you get out of it and you use it for that purpose. And that's exactly why I do it. Like it, it brings me happiness when I go on Instagram because I'm only following accounts of, you know, just funny stuff. You know what I mean? And um, I so, yeah, you know, you can have that balance. And I think that that's, that's really important. Okay. For sure. Another point that you bring out in your book is about envy. And you talk about how envy does not have to be a negative emotion. Can you expand on that thought? I swear I can name the person or the tweet or the book that I saw before every one of my four books that made me say, if they can do it, I can do it. Yeah. Envy can be really ugly and gross, and I have fallen into that trap, but it can also be something that spurs you forward. I say envy can be a catalyst, and I'll give you an example. There was a, another author and speaker who I really admire who's written great books and is really out there. And at the time during COVID, I was trying to think of other ways to generate revenue. And this person had two adjunct professorships at business schools. And I thought, oh, teaching, okay, maybe that's a path for me. 
Sure. But then I got into that rut of saying, well, she's obviously smarter than I am and better than I am and people like her more. And so she got those roles. Now I know this person. So I asked okay, for help. Well, and that I, is so not true. She is not smarter than you or better. Well, than you know, you. this is the 11 o'clock at night in the middle of lockdown. These are the emotions we have while eating Next human time, Let's get into your mind. I want you to call me because I will talk you right out of it. Okay? I appreciate that. And I will. I will ask for help. Oh, good. Uh, but I did. I called her and I said, hey, you know, how did you get these? And shockingly, it was not magic or her being better she said well I applied for 50 positions and I got two of them right. and I thought oh she actually did something to yes. get what she wanted instead of sitting here and hating on the person who had it and so I think action is the is the antidote to envy right oh Gene has those books behind him he reads a lot instead of saying I hate Gene I can say oh I'm gonna learn from that and do it too and it's such a shift to say that's a role model rather than somebody I'm jealous of. And I, I don't do this perfectly all the time, but that's you know, really been a, a mindset shift that's been very helpful. I do a very similar thing as well. And I always laugh because I, you know, when you go on uh, using LinkedIn again, on LinkedIn, everybody's fabulous. Everybody's crushing it. They're speaking, they're writing, they're winning, they're right they're, they're congratulating their clients, their clients are congratulating. I mean, everybody is fabulous on LinkedIn. And I know after living on this earth for as long as I have, that that is just not the case. None of us are fabulous. We all have our issues and our bullshit that we're dealing with. And, and we all have that level of envy uh, for our competitors as well. And I guess it's just a, you know, a matter of, you know, how do you, you know, how do you take that feeling of envy and use it uh, for good for yourself? And, you know, and, and, I, and I do say to myself, like, you know, this guy might seem like he's like, you know, master of the universe, but there, there, that's can't be true. To that point, I might find Instagram or, or Facebook hard. I had a lot of feedback when I wrote the book, but some people find LinkedIn hard. If you're unemployed or you're struggling, don't use it for a while or only go in and use it when you need it. If you find it really upsetting to see lots of people succeeding when you feel like you're not, it's okay to take a break as well. Yeah, it's fair enough. It's good. Okay. Another point that you make in your book is you talk a little bit about the word yet. You say that the word yet is pretty remarkable for its power to open up possibilities. So talk to us a little bit about that word. This is straight out of Dr. Carol Dweck at Stanford University in her book, Mindset. This is about growth mindset and a fixed mindset. We've all done it is when you say something like, I can't sing, I can't drive. I'm not, that's just not me. I don't like change is when I hear a lot. And that's fixed. That means it is what it is. I can never change it. And what Carol Dweck says is if you want to be successful, some people have this naturally, but you can also choose this path, which is a growth mindset, which is if I put in some more work, if I tried really hard, if I asked enough people, I could get better. So the magic word to change a fixed mindset to a growth mindset is, as you said, yet. So I'm not a great driver yet. Now that opens up my mind to say, I bet if I took some lessons or I bet if I practiced, I bet if I watched some videos, I could get better. And so when you find yourself saying there's something you just can't do, or it just doesn't work for you, or that's just not your thing, when you add the word yet, it can be really, really magical. So you're saying to me that if I said to myself, like, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not, you know, playing center field for the Phillies, and I just add yet to it, that I do actually have a possibility playing center field for the Phillies. Is that what you're I would say you could get a little closer to that goal than you are now. You may not achieve it, but look at what's that movie, Rudy, right? Like Rudy did it with Notre Dame. You never know. You could get closer even if you're not exactly going to do it. I think within the realm of reasonableness, <laughs> it's good to use that word yet, but just let's keep in, you know, keep in mind that 
there are only a few people that are going to be, you know, building space shuttles. <laughs> you know, to, to those who are listening who are business owners or managers of people, I think it's a great leadership tool as well, which is to say, you know, you're just not achieving the goals you need to yet. Or I'm just not seeing the growth I need in you yet. And it's a really positive way to give people constructive feedback. Love it. Okay, that's great. Um, you mentioned um, the phrase career lattice in your book. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, this came out of work uh, from Deloitte. And actually, Sheryl Sandberg used to say a career jungle gym. I think that we often have in mind that a career is a ladder, right? That tends to be the metaphor. And it's just not true anymore. It's actually pretty rare that someone goes into a company or a career and they go from junior accountant to senior accountant to VP accountant, et cetera. But we get stuck in that mindset. And if you open up the idea that it's a lattice, like a web or a snowflake, you can go sideways, you can go diagonally, you can go up, you can go down. It's all movement as opposed to feeling like you always have to have the next higher level. It's good for... Uh, individuals to think about your career as a lattice, but it's also good for business owners and employers to say not everybody wants the next progressive progressive job up the quote ladder. Maybe they could make a lateral move. Maybe they could do something completely different. And in fact, um, I teach a lot of courses for LinkedIn Learning, and they just hired me to do two new courses, both on the subject of internal mobility, because a lot of companies are realizing one of the best ways to retain employees is to ask them, you know, where do you want to go? And maybe they won't be in the job that you have them in or the next job you planned. They might want something different, but you can still retain that talent if you open up those lattice possibilities. You know, perfect example of this is, uh, is Midge Maisel on the adventures of Mrs. Uh, uh, Mrs. Maisel on, you know, on, uh, on Amazon. Sure. So she was like a stand-up comic and she was getting bigger and bigger gigs. But then, but then she took sort of like a side route and became a writer on the Gordon Ford show. That's this year. She was doing it because her agent, Susan, Susie was telling her to do this. So it wasn't like a direct move forward. Cause you would think being a comedian, you would like just move up, you know, the, the whatever. But her idea was to move sideways so that she can get that experience of being a writer on a big show and get that exposure. And you know what, Lindsay, it's working out. She's having success on that show. And we spoiler alert, spoiler alert. <laughs> it's going to build her career as well. So for any of you guys who are watching Mrs. Maisel, you will see this is a perfect example of what, what a lattice is that Lindsay is talking about. And maybe that can actually work in, in your career as well. Uh, but I love that concept. And it does make sense because it's not always, you know, I mean, I used to work at KPMG. And, you know, when you work at a big company like that for 10 years, I mean, it, it's just, you know, you go from assistant to staff to senior to manager to, you know, a partner, you know, they're like this direct, the world doesn't really work that way in most places. You know what I mean? It's, it's more zigzagging across, don't you think? Absolutely. And I, I think it's more modern that those opportunities aren't always there. You know, I think of all the layoffs that are happening right now and, and so on. But I, I think it's very freeing to take away that idea that there's only one way to move. And for employers who just don't have an opportunity, especially if you're a small business, they just don't have that many jobs. Sure. Not everybody is going to be able to get promoted, but they might want something else. It's also a reminder to managers and employers to not assume that people always want to go in the direction you think that they do. Makes sense. Um, Lindsay, you, you write in the book about education, you know, requirements and, you know, it has always been traditional that, you know, the best way to success is you go to high school and then you get a college degree or maybe get an MBA, you go to graduate school. And, you know, you, you make the point that that, that sort of like, you know, traditional notion is, is changing. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. How is it changing? Yeah, it, it's changing for a couple of reasons. First is I still think many, many professional jobs do require a bachelor's degree. And, and I've heard people say, you know, you, you don't think you don't need it unless you're somebody who has it, right? So right. 
there is a level of, of privilege there. But we're hearing a lot about upskilling and reskilling. And I think because of the student loan debt crisis, you know, that millennials face where it just got out of control. I think the next generation come after is saying, wait a minute, let's not just default to getting an expensive college degree if we might not have to. Yes. And when you look at companies that are hiring based on skills, particularly for things like computer programming or data analysis, having a certificate from general assembly or from a community college can be just as valuable. And I think this is really in line more with the European style, uh, which is more apprenticeships and trades and getting back to that idea that not every single person needs a four-year college degree. Look, there are a lot of jobs that always will, yeah. but a lot of corporations are saying maybe the default, oh, this job requires a BA is not always going to be the case. And I think that's a real positive. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And and you just mentioned about, you know, employers changing. I mean, you know, some of the largest employers in the country, Google and Microsoft and Amazon, I mean, publicly, I mean, it's been written about, mm -hmm. you know, I've written about it, uh, that they, they're hiring people that not necessarily graduated from college. I mean, one of the things driving that, obviously, is is the labor shortage. But, you know, another big part of that is, um, I don't know, it's, you know, I, you know I, I sent all my three kids to college. Um, you know, they're all doing fine, but I have to say, like, I don't think their college, you know, experience prepared them for work life. I mean, I think it proved to the employer that they can sit through four years of classes and take exams. And I guess that says something, do you know what I mean? But, um, in every case, my perfect example is, is, uh, my daughter is a vet. She went to a really good vet school. Um, and you know, it was fine. But then when she graduated, she took a job at a chain and they sent her for training for a month in Florida. Mm -hmm. She said she learned more in that month, you know, training than she learned really in the last two years of her vet school. Do you know what I mean? So I, I think it's a message to four-year colleges that they have to include career readiness and those skills yeah. in the training. There's so, you know, I get a lot of grief for saying that, oh, it's about the academy and it's about, you know, literature and so on. And I think that's important, but I don't know why it can't be both. And I think that that's a really strong message to colleges. I totally agree with you. And, you know, it frustrates me. It, it kind of makes me angry because I know a lot of people, a lot of good meaning people spend a lot of money on your college tuition. And, uh, and a lot of these kids graduate college and they're not really prepared for the workplace. And, um, and it's an issue. And then, you know, I, I write and cover small and mid-sized businesses. And so, in, you know, on their side, they're the ones that have to step up and, you know, and take ownership of that. Like, you know, like the, that veterinary chain, they've got to spend the money to train these people because they're not getting the education in their colleges, you know, and, and I don't know, it's just, it, it, it's a big, big, it's a big issue. All right. Um, other topics in the book as well. You talk a little bit about defining your personal brands. You're going out to look for a career, look for a job. Give me some thoughts. Give me some advice on, on, on doing that. The first thing I say, a lot of people get an ick when I say personal brand. I like the term, but some people feel like it's cheesy. It's just your reputation. And you have yeah. to be proactive about what people think and say about you. And I remember a mistake I made when I was first starting out was I thought, oh, if you look at my resume and look at what I've done, you kind of know who I am. And that's not true. You have to be able to explain it to people and say, here are my strengths, here are the experiences that I've had. I am a fan of the big old, you know, old fashioned objective or summary statement at the top of a resume to say, this is who I am. Yeah. You have to do that filtering for people in a way that maybe we didn't have to before. And it goes back to the lattice concept. Everybody has so much more diversity than they used to. You used to have one job or stay at one company, but you have to be able to explain that to employers. And I think on the employer side, you have to be able to explain who you are and what you want 
yeah. in an articulate way so that you can find the right match. So what I think it is, is just getting more specific and explicit about what you can offer or what a job is looking for. It's using those keywords. It's really, really great. Uh, it's great advice. You know, it's funny, we get back to LinkedIn again. I mean, I just did a job search, you know, you know, I was looking to hire like a Microsoft specialist and, um, and, and I had a lot of success with LinkedIn. I gotta tell you, it is, um, when you dig into what LinkedIn does, and a lot of the other job platforms do it, but the people that are attracted to the most First of all, they had a full, you know, laid out, fully filled out LinkedIn profile because that is in effect their resume, isn't it? You know, but also they, they had videos, they had some posts about themselves or, you know, where they stood, you know, um, photos of themselves, which I, I think photos are just helpful. I mean, I don't know, or, and, and the videos themselves showing them in action. And then also, you know, who they're connected to was important to me as well. You know, like, oh, I didn't realize that this person knows that person, you know what I mean? Or worked at a mm -hmm. company where my friend worked at. All of that goes into building your brand, right? Absolutely. And I think sometimes we just forget the most obvious things. And I did this myself. So here's a message to any business owner who wants to get seen or found on LinkedIn. Yep. At a certain point in my career, I wanted to go from being more of a corporate trainer to a keynote speaker. Right. And I had speaker all over my website and trainer. And I, you know, talked to this very fancy schmancy marketing person. And, right. you know, I, I said that I had this goal and, and she said, well, can I give you some feedback and you don't have to pay me a dollar? And I said, sure. And she said, you don't use the word keynote anywhere on your LinkedIn profile or website. And it was like, oops, <laughs> you know, I didn't think to do that. So sometimes, or if you're really smart, you say something like creative storyteller. It's like, nobody is gonna Google creative storyteller. They're gonna Google keynote speaker. So you have to just be really clear and thinking from the mindset of your customer or your client or your potential employer, what are they going to type in to look for you and make sure you use those words to talk about yourself. Great advice. I also like the fact that, you know, you got feedback from that person. And, and I think that's also really important when people are on, if they are, you know, if they are using LinkedIn or Indeed or whatever, uh, if you know anybody that might be older, that might work at a company that or owns a business and, uh, you know, that you're friendly with or known to your family to say like, hey, can you look to my LinkedIn profile and tell me, you know, would you hire somebody like me? You know, is there anything I'm missing? If you get somebody that's fairly honest with you, uh, getting a third set of eyes really makes a big difference, I think, you know? Ask for help. And I'll give you another little tip. I do a lot of work with university career centers and yeah, no matter how, here, go back to the degree again, here's how you can use your, your tuition that you paid all that money for. Yeah. You can go back 20, 30, 40, a million years later, and college career centers will serve alumni. They'll look at your resume. They'll give you honest feedback. They'll help you with your LinkedIn profile. I think it's a really underutilized free resource. That's really, that's really great. Hey, this was not in your book, but I'm kind of curious um, what your thoughts are, because it hasn't changed over the years. When, again, when I was back at KPMG, and by the way, Lindsay, this was like a thousand years ago, um, I used to go, I went to Lehigh University, which is in Pennsylvania. Where, where do you, where are you out of? Where are you I'm from? in New York City. Okay, you're in New York City. So you probably know Lehigh. And, um, so I went there, uh, you know, and um, graduated from there. And then Lehigh, uh, KPMG would send me back there as a recruiter, um, you know, in my first few years, you know, when I was there. And I used to interview these college kids. And like, you know, it was like a brutal day of like, you know, 12 interviews set up for the day, you know? And you would have one eager looking kid after another come in for a half an hour interview. And they all just kind of mix in together. And, you know, it's hard for a recruiter. I'm just talking from a, you know, from that standpoint, it was, it's really hard to kind of differentiate. They all seem great, you know? And, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are like, that hasn't changed, you know? I mean, when my kids were looking for jobs, they, it was like the same routine 30 years later, you know? And, you know, what advice would you have? Say it was your kid that was graduated from college 
and say your kid was using that college career center and, you know, going through the whole interview machine, you know, what advice would you have for kind of standing out? Um, you know, getting That's a good question. I, it's the same advice I give to someone at a job fair. We have like a million people online yes. in front of you and a million behind you. First of all, just really simple. I ask recruiters this all the time and they're like, you'd be amazed how many people don't smile and make eye contact. So like the absolute basic, basic strong handshake, smile, eye contact, like you're halfway there and, and don't have your head in your phone. But the real way to stand out is to realize, particularly in the college scene, you can't stand out by what you've done. Everybody's a student at Lehigh. Everybody probably has a good GPA and some activities. You're never going to stand out. Right. You can't stand out by what you've done. Where you can stand out is the amount of research you've done into the employer. Hmm. So if I walked into that interview, yeah, you know, I'm on a couple of committees, you know, I've got, you know, good grades, whatever. But let me tell you why I'm a good fit for KPMG. I have read on your website and in your social media that these are the important values. And this is what, if you show that you have put in that work to not say I'm so great, but to say I'm a great fit for you because I have done that research, I think that wins every time. All right, that is great advice. I love that. It's a little too too little too late though. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like your kids are doing just fine. I should have talked to you like 30 years ago when I was doing it, but okay. Uh that that is very, very helpful. Um, also in your book, and and by the way, I'm gonna get some off-book questions that, that I have to ask you as well, because I want to specialize it. But um also in the book as well, you do you do take some time out to talk about job boards and niche job boards. There's like the general job boards that we talk about LinkedIn and Classdoor and Career Builder, and then there's like niches you know for people with specific races and sexual orientations or maybe certain industries or certain ages or you know or whatnot give me your thoughts on job boards i mean do you think that they're good you know a good exercise to do do you think it's a waste of time for people that are looking for jobs i don't think it's a waste of time look if you do the numbers like 80 percent of jobs are found through networking and a personal connection roughly 20 you know this is sort of the famous stat are found yeah. through job boards but 20% are found through job boards. Secondly, job boards to me are a way to get a sense of the market and to get a sense of yourself in that market. So if I look and oh my gosh, there's so many jobs at insurance companies, maybe I should give those a second look. Maybe that's an opportunity. Maybe, oh, you know, there's so many remote jobs. Would I consider looking remotely? It's a way for you to get a sense of the market, kind of like if you're house hunting or apartment hunting, right? You know, oh, this town, I never thought about that before. Sure. So I think it's a really smart exercise and you never know. It can also show you that a certain company is really appealing. Maybe that job isn't, but you've never heard of that company before. So you're going to look a little bit deeper. So I think it's a huge mistake to spend all of your time job hunting that way. But to me, a job is like a house, right? You want to go in through the door. You want to go in through the window. You want to go in through the back door. You want to climb up the trellis and go through the top window any way that you can get in. So go to the big job boards, go to LinkedIn, find any niche job board, that you can, and then talk to the people in your network. All of it, I think, is part of a job search. I wouldn't leave anything out. As you and I are talking today, and we're here at the very beginning of May, um, the Department of Labor released their um, job openings, their JOLTS you know, uh, data, which showed, I think, something like 9.6 million job openings, which is significantly down from like the close to 11 million that there were you know, right after the pandemic. Um, it's like the lowest level since 2021, and it continues to go down, which basically means that uh, the economy is kind of softening and it's getting that much more competitive now for jobs. And as you know, so many companies are laying people off, you know, as well. Um, so there's people, a lot of people that are out there, you know, that, that are worried about their jobs. So this book is talking about navigating your career. It's the changing world of work. 
So I, I first of all, I, one of the one of the things that I always thought the, the best way to create opportunities for yourself, Lindsay, is to do a really good job at your job, regardless of what the job is. And I don't know if you get the same vibe that I do. Like when I read people with like the quiet quittings, you know what I mean? You know, <laughs> or or the people that want to have like you know, uh, you know, moderate Mondays, you know, and a bare minimum Mondays. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and I see these people being interviewed in like you know articles, you know, like with their names and you know where they work. And I think to myself, like, man, you're really, you know, really creating some obstacles for yourself in your career advancement. And I don't mean just at your current company, but anywhere you, you tend to go. Do you, do you feel the same way? Like, do you kind of shake your head a little bit when you see stuff like that? I do. <laughs> and I also appreciate that people are just going to be brutally honest. And that if someone said they're quiet quitting somewhere, but they're really passionate about their pace, I guess their belief is that if they're just honest, things work out. But, you know, going back to your earlier point, it's not the same job market that it was before. You can do the best job ever, but if your company goes out of business through no fault of your own because the bank defaults, right. you didn't do anything wrong, you know? And so I think it's really important to remember, it's always not always your fault if you get laid off, you know, if you're part of a, a big layoff, if your industry is suffering, but you've got to keep your eyes open. And that's where I think we haven't talked a lot about sort of reskilling and upskilling. I think you have to be a lifelong learner. I think you always have to have some irons in the fire. I think you always have to know people outside of your industry. I remember once I was um, uh, pitching some networking programs for women's groups inside companies. And this one group said, oh, we don't need that. You know, we we're you know, very solid. Nobody needs to network outside the company. And the company was Lehman Brothers, right? And they didn't know that they would need it. So I do think, well, I don't want anyone to feel like their job is always in jeopardy. It's always a good idea to keep your eyes open, to know the market, to be involved in professional associations, to keep in touch with people who are at other organizations, you know, not to be dramatic, but all bets are off no matter where you work. It's a really challenging market. That said, that also means there's a lot of opportunity. Even if you get laid off, there are always opportunities. Yeah, job openings are down, but they're still there. Um, and, and to your point, I mean, again, you know, I, I don't know why I keep talking. I guess it was, it was like, it was like my next to last corporate job when I was at KPMG, but um, yeah, I used to think all the time, like, you know, in the morning and getting up, like, you know, my morning routine or showering or whatever. And I'd be thinking like, what happens if I got fired today? I was given two weeks notice, you know, like, am I ready for that? You know? And, and I did make it a point to try and network and, you know, be out and about and know as many people as possible. This is way before social media. I think it's really important for, for people to always say to themselves that like nothing is guaranteed in life. Things like you said, they're out of your control can affect your life. So do you have a plan B? I think Nobody expected a pandemic. <laughs> no one expected a pandemic. That's exactly right. Lindsay, any final words that, that, you know, any questions I did not ask or anything else that you'd like to tell our audience about the book? I just want to go back to, to what you said, always ask for help. I think that there are so many resources available and there's always somebody who's willing to tell you what they went through, give your resource, make an introduction. Again, I think it can be really lonely to job hunt or, or feel like the market is tough or to start your own business. And I'm just so grateful now, you know, I started my business 20 years ago. You've been doing this a long time. That stuff really wasn't as available as it is now. So take advantage of all of the community and all the resources online and in person. I think it's so powerful. And, and thank you for having a podcast that adds to that, that conversation. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, and one final thought on that, like, don't you feel, I mean, at, at your age and where you are in your life and in your career or whatever, like if somebody were to reach out to you, 
um, particularly a younger person, asking for help or asking for advice, don't you feel like you're at the point of your life night now where you'd be like, sure, right? you know, what can I do to help? Right? Oh my gosh, I get asked all the time and I almost always say yes. I will say sometimes they're book deadlines. So I'm sure whoever's watching this might be the one person I said no. But always and go through your alma mater, go through people you know. I, I think that you'd be surprised. What I would say is it makes us feel good to yes. be asked. So you're not bothering somebody. You're actually, you know, congratulating them and, and celebrating them as well. And, and, you know, a lot of us say the best part of our job is mentoring. So absolutely. I think that's so powerful. And I wish I had done more of it when I was starting out. Yeah, I feel the same way. The book is called Recalculating, Navigating Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. It is excellent. My uh, guest has been Lindsay Pollock, who wrote the book. Lindsay, just great stuff. Um, I guess we're going to catch you on the speaking circuit. And I'm sure you've got many more books to come. Where can we find you online? Thank you so much. My website is my name, lindsaypollock.com. And I am super active on LinkedIn and always happy to connect. Very cool. Hey, thank you very much for joining me. We will continue to be in touch, okay? Great to talk to you. Thanks again. Everybody, thanks so much for watching and listening to BizBooks. My name is Gene Marks. Hope you enjoyed this conversation. I know I did. Please buy Recalculating, Navigating Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. It is definitely worth it. Thanks again for listening or watching. We'll be back with you in two weeks with another super smart and great business author uh, to help you uh, learn and grow yourself. Speak to you soon. Take care.